The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. All right. Good morning, everyone. If you're a visitor here with us, I want to welcome you. So glad that you could join us this morning. It's a unique Sunday, as Pastor Mark said. We're finishing up a long journey through the gospel of Mark, and next week kicks off an exciting new series. But I am so looking forward to sharing with you what God showed me from the endings of several of the Gospels. Let's just open up our time with uh, prayer together. Father, we thank you that we can gather because you have done so much, Lord. We're gathering in gratefulness this morning. We're gathering in worship this morning. And now, God, We gather to listen to your word, Lord. I'm but a vessel. May your word be proclaimed clearly. May our hearts be changed, God, and may our wills be engaged as we seek to follow you and embrace the mission that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. The year was 334 B.C., And 120 ships carrying around 75,000 Greek soldiers sped across the Hellespont, now known as the Strait of Gallipoli, landing on the shores of Persia. At the head of the army was a 22-year-old king who would forever impact the cultural landscape of the world. As the ships drifted into the sands of Persia and the army readied itself on land, Alexander the Great made a legendary decision that it has been mimicked and debated ever since, knowing that the Persians possessed the greatest navy on the known earth at the time, and that his army would be severely outnumbered on land, Alexander did the unthinkable. He commanded his men to burn all 120 ships. When asked how they would return to their homeland, the soon-to-be ruler of the known world allegedly said, we go home in Persian ships or we die here. That commitment to a radical vision that he had of conquering the known world did lead to ultimate success, at least to a degree, right? They conquered kingdom after kingdom after kingdom with that level of focus, determination, and tenacity What mission this morning defines your life? Are you living with a sense of purpose so great that it justifies figuratively burning the ships behind you in its pursuit? So often we admire those who radically pursue something greater than themselves, but few people feel part of a mission that really matters. You see, only a mission that's worth dying for is truly a mission worth living for. So often the Christian message has been reduced to invite Jesus into your heart and receive his forgiveness so that when you die, you can go to heaven. Friends, there's nothing wrong with wanting eternal security and knowing where you go after death. That is precious and powerful. But that's only a piece, not the fullness of the mission and purpose that he has for us, his church. This morning, as we close out the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see some things about this mission. We're going to be looking at the closing verses and words of Jesus recorded in Mark 
Luke, and Matthew. And as Pastor Mark said, please now we'll turn to Mark chapter 16. We're going to skip a couple verses and circle back. We're going to start reading in verse 14. It says, Afterward, he, Jesus, appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. What I hope to show this morning in our few minutes together is this. This mission that Jesus gave us is launched by a message and it leads to a movement. So before we jump into the mission, what is this gospel or this message that we're called to live and proclaim? Now we're going to back up in the text right before the passage we just read, and we're going to look at verse 12 and 13 of the same chapter, Mark chapter 16. And it says, after these things, he, Jesus, appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country, and they went back and told the rest, but they, the disciples, did not believe them. So who are these two men? We don't know much other than what the text says. Although they're not part of the 12, they were part of the larger group of Jesus' followers. We know from other texts that there was a large group of people that followed Jesus. And then there was the 12. And these two were part of that larger group. Now let's move over to Luke. If you want to turn in your Bible, if you're using your phone or whatever device, let's look at Luke chapter 24. And we're going to start in verse 13. Luke 24, 13. This is the same story now with all the details. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they're talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, Jesus, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. 
Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted if he was going, as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us. It's almost evening and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11, the disciples and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they, these two men, told him what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. And they were startled and frightened. They thought they saw a spirit, a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet. It is I myself, touch and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. There's three aspects. I know that was a long passage but it's an important story for a couple of reasons. There's three aspects to this message that I want to consider this morning. First, this message, this gospel, the centrality of Jesus. And what Jesus did here with the two men on the Emmaus Road, and then again as he enters this room and speaks to the gathering of disciples and followers there, he weaves and points to passage after passage, story after story, promise after promise that they were familiar with far more than we are in our day. Many of these people, men and women, had grown up memorizing large passages of Scripture. So they knew these promises. They knew this word. They knew these stories. This was their life holding to the Scriptures. But he now connected all the dots of every story and pointed to himself. You see, some stories that you read in the Old Testament whisper his name. And you have to look closely to see in which way it points to Jesus. But others, others of the stories shout. They basically shout the coming salvation of Jesus, the pointing towards a Messiah. Let's think about Noah's Ark, a story that no doubt if you grew up in church you heard in Sunday school or maybe you've seen in some form, format on TV through the years. Noah's Ark, where judgment was being poured out and where one man rises up 
and he's told by God to build an ark, this great boat, to take his family in, and we know from other scriptures he actually proclaimed the coming judgment to others, but no one believed. Him and his family were preserved, and in that we see a picture of what Jesus does for us. He is our ark. He's our salvation. Abraham, the man called by God to found the nation of Israel, and after many, many, many years of holding on to a promise, barely believing, sometimes faltering, his miraculous son Isaac is born. He's already over 100 years old. And then comes the day when Isaac is somewhere in the range of probably 18 or 20 years old. God says these words, go up on top of this mountain and now offer up your son as a sacrifice. How? Why? Imagine the thoughts going through his head. And he does as he's told and he takes Isaac up and other scriptures say he believed God that God would even raise him up if he were to have to follow through on this command of God. And he takes his son up and he lays him on this altar and he raises the knife and he's about to slay his miraculous and only son and then he hears a voice saying, stop. And the knife stops. And there, caught in the thicket, was a ram that was offered instead and it was a a test for Abraham. But for us, it's a picture of what Jesus did. You see, When that knife was raised over Jesus on the cross, it didn't stop. He was the son, the perfect son, that gave it all. And this picture, found again and again throughout the Old Testament, was pointing towards Christ. Israel's deliverance from Egypt, we don't have time to go through it, but if you read the story found in Exodus, this miraculous deliverance from slavery, of likely millions of people brought out by the powerful hand of God is a picture of our own salvation and how God reaches in. We are slaves to sin and frees us. Again and again, we see story after story after story pointing to Jesus. Some call it the scarlet thread that weaves throughout Scripture. There's passages in the prophets like Isaiah 53 that Pastor Mark spoke about that talk in detail about the coming Messiah and the type of death he would die. And then there's other passages with promises like Jeremiah 31. Chapter 31 and verse 31, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. The prophets are littered with promises like this that point towards a coming Messiah that would bring about this salvation and this new covenant of grace that makes it possible for us to know God. Not just a priest in a temple that would then communicate with the people, but that each of us would have direct access to God. 
Again and again, scriptures point towards that. And that's what Jesus was revealing to these two men on the Emmaus Road and then his disciples and followers. Jesus himself quotes Psalms 22 in his final moments on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You can read that whole passage in Psalms 22. It was prophetically speaking of Jesus. And then Jesus fulfills that. Secondly, the significance of the cross. First, the centrality of Jesus in this message. Secondly, the significance of the cross. And for those that were here two weeks ago, you heard Pastor Mark in detail talk about this death of Jesus. You see, there's a problem in our world today of sin and separation. And for any doubters, just turn on the news. Our world is a mess. Is there anyone here that would argue with that? As we see wars and rumors of wars, as we see violence, as we see mugging and carjackings and child slavery and every kind of evil imaginable everywhere around us. And now with access to the news and the internet, it's all around us coming at us every day. But friends, we don't have to look out there to see this mess of sin and separation. We can look in here. Jeremiah says our own hearts, our own hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked, and apart from grace, friends, we, you and I, are a mess. It's not just out there, it's in here. Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. You see, as Pastor Mark talked about this Passover that Jesus and his disciples had together, now we remember that through communion. But that night, as they walked to the Garden of Gethsemane, as they walked the streets of Jerusalem, and in that following days, during Passover, the streets of Jerusalem would literally run with blood. It was a grotesque scene in many ways. Blood running down the streets as thousands upon thousands of lambs were sacrificed. Some estimate, there's one historical record that says as many as 250,000 lambs were slaughtered. During this time, imagine this bloody scene as the people of Israel gathered together, all of that pointing towards the Lamb. You see, there's another aspect of this. Once a year, you see this temple that they would gather to worship in, right? Formerly the tabernacle and then became the temple, had three parts. There was the outer court, the inner court, and the holy of holies. The outer court was where the people of God could gather. The inner court was where the priests, those chosen by God, could go in and do ministry. It's a reason why Jesus was so upset that in the outer court, they were selling and taking advantage of people there in their acts of worship and ripping people off because it distorted people's view of God and that was the only access that many of the people had to God. But in this inner court again where the priests would gather, but then in the Holy of Holies, separated from the inner court by this thick curtain was the presence of God where the Ark of the Covenant was and where they would go in and on an altar there would sprinkle blood. And it was... This priest, this high priest, the priest of priests that would go in once a year and make this sacrifice. Some traditions say, we know from scripture they had bells on their robes. Some traditions say they actually had 
perhaps a rope tied around their ankles. This was a fearful thing when they would go into the presence of God. That if they were not right with God in this time, that God could strike them dead, right? And so that if the bells stopped ringing, they would drag them out. That's one of the traditions. But it was this, this awe, this, this holiness, this presence of God that no one except the high priest once a year could go into. This curtain is estimated to be about 60 feet tall, 20 feet wide, and about four inches thick. It's more of a fabric wall. Knowing that, now let's look at Mark. We're going to jump back to a text that Pastor Mark read. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness. Now we're back to the cross. Over the whole land until the ninth hour. And now in the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine. And put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, let's see if Elijah's going to come take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain, this is what I want you to see, of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this was the Son of God. You see, the blood of Jesus shed on the cross ripped, literally ripped open access into the holy presence of God. God did that. This was a miraculous event. This was not something that could have just happened. I just described that curtain. It was ripped open into the presence of God. And we know from other passages that this was a picture of what we all have access to through Christ now, coming into the presence of God. The cross is central Our sin separates us from God and only the death of the Son of God could bridge that gap back to God. And we hold to that. We proclaim that. Thirdly, the reality of the resurrection is part of this message that we're called to proclaim on this mission. First of all, in this, I want to show you something that I think is powerful. I want to pause a minute as we talk about this mission there is a place for doubters. And I want to show you right from text, okay? So first of all, Mark 16, 12. Some of you, again, you may want to open this up in your Bible and underline or, or mark it. I think this is pretty cool. Mark 16, 12. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country, and they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Luke 24, 9. And returning from the tomb, they all told these things to the eleven and to the rest. Again, Luke 24, 9 now, and 10. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, the Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Matthew 28, 16. Now, now, we're jumping ahead to the very end when Jesus is about to ascend to the Father, and he's giving these famous words of the Great Commission, right? And when they saw him, They worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth. And we're going to look at that in just a couple minutes. Here's the crazy thing. Right up to the end, some of the core followers of Jesus were really struggling. Jesus has appeared to them. I mean, he's like, feel the nail holes in my hands. Feel them in my feet. Here's my side where the spear went in, right? 
He's there in person multiple times. It says he actually appeared to 500 of them at once at one time, right? So here he is, Jesus, in the flesh. He goes so far, just because there was this, this idea of Gnosticism, and, and this, was, you know, this is one of the false teachings that came about later, but it was that Jesus was just a spirit. He didn't really revive in a human body. He ate fish in front of them on a couple different occasions. He ate fish right in front of them. Okay, I'm eating, I'm eating, I'm not a ghost, right? The fish is gone, you know? And yet it says some doubted. And I, here's why I love this. Because some of you in the room this morning as we jump now forward into the mission and call of Jesus on your life, you think you're disqualified because you doubt. But Jesus doesn't stop and say, you know what, guys, we're going to do apologetics 101. I see some of you are still doubting. So hold on, the Great Commission's coming. But let me again run you through the facts of why I'm really alive. Okay? He doesn't do that. He just gives them the great commission. See, some of you are going to have to step out in faith. Some of you will never have all your questions answered. Some of you are going to keep wrestling with questions. You just, that's the way your mind works. But there is a place for you in the kingdom of God. And some of you just have to take a step in faith and say, like the father that brought his child to Jesus, I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief because I, I don't know about some of this, Okay. And I just want you to know there's a place in God's kingdom, there's a place for you here, and there's a place for you in the mission of God even as you wrestle with doubt. It happened at the beginning, it happens today. The resurrection is critical though. You can wrestle with it, but it is real. 1 Corinthians 15, 16 says, if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And then earlier in the chapter, it talks about how Jesus came back and appeared to many different people, but up to 500 at one time. So what is this saying? Even as you wrestle, you must know that every week we are going to stand here, we are going to sing from the chairs, and we are going to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus because it is critical, and without it, we don't truly have a message that's worthy of proclaiming. We don't have a mission that's worth dying for. The summation of this message is this. Your sin and my sin is far worse than we'll ever comprehend, but we are equally simultaneously more loved than we can imagine. And the scandalous, bloody death of Jesus on the cross is enough to open the way into the arms of God and grant you grace that you will never earn, never deserve, and never fully understand. I don't care this morning if you feel like you're a saint. You've been in the church every day. The door opens since you were a child. You're not worthy of this scandalous display of God dying on a cross for you. None of us are. None of us are. And it's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone that saves us. And that's the message that we proclaim. That's the message that we believe. And that's what launches us on this mission in its proclamation. Now we're going to turn and focus on these verses that we've already mentioned. As we launch into the mission, it says the 11 disciples again went to Galilee in the mountain. Jesus had directed them. They saw him. They worshiped. Some doubted. Jesus came, this is verse 16, 17 through 20, and he said, all authority, this is what I want to focus on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go therefore, because of this authority, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Luke 24, 47, it says, Jesus said to them, thus it is written, that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And he led them out to Bethany and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. There's three things I want to highlight out on this mission, okay? First of all, the power. Jesus is the one that has authority. It says he ascended. He's at the right hand of God. He is king. Our name, our church name, the King's Chapel, we're proclaiming that Jesus is king. That's what we're doing. Higher than any political affiliation, higher than any hope in any man or woman, Jesus is king. He's the king that we truly worship. He's the king that we long to see fully rule and reign. Jesus has authority, and it's from that authority that he says to go. But he says first to wait, to wait. And we know what this is talking about, those of us that are familiar again with this story. He's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. But I think for us today, it's also important to recognize we can't go out and fulfill the mission of Jesus in our own strength. History is filled with the casualties of those who've tried to go out and proclaim and they falter and they fall. And I'm not saying us that we're gonna somehow do it perfectly, no. But we can do it in the grace and strength of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we look to Jesus for the authority and we wait for that power and we ask God, God, fill us up. What's the purpose? He says to make disciples of all nations. There's no limit to God's love. There's no color of skin. There's no nationality or language that presents a barrier to God. He says go and it's all. And it says baptizing and teaching. And here's the picture I just want you to have. It's all of Jesus and all of his word for all of life, for all people. It's everything, right? It's everything. We've already talked about how everything in the Old Testament pointed towards Jesus. And as we go out, there's instruction from scripture. And you'll hear it here week after week as we proclaim the truths of Jesus, different aspects of what that means to follow him. But we're commanded to be part of that mission. And then the promise. He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. He promises us his presence. He says very vividly in the ending of the book of Mark, some people could get hung up on the specificity of the mention of miracles there. And I'm not going to dive into that this morning. But what I want to simply say is miracles will happen. When God shows up, he's not in a box. He's not going to just do what we want him to do. He will not be controlled. And if we want God to show up in our midst and show up in our lives, miracles will happen. And yes, sometimes that means sickness will be miraculously healed. Sometimes God can give the gift of languages so that others can understand the gospel or the gift of tongues. And again, we're not gonna go into detail. He talks about serpents and and poison. We know from even Paul's story in Acts how he was bitten by a serpent and he didn't die, and everybody was shocked. That's a, that's a fulfillment of that promise. And so miracles will happen. And lastly, this promise, 
going back to another text, Jesus said, I will build my church. It is the work of Jesus that we are joining. It is his work, not ours. TKC, the King's Chapel, it's his church, not ours. Not Pastor Bill's, not Pastor Mark's, not the elders and not ours. It is his church. We are the stewards of that. And finally, this mission that is launched with the message of Jesus leads to a movement. And this is what I want to close with as we bring this to apply to each of us. It's bigger than just here. It's bigger than now. And it's bigger than us. And you might hear in that as I say that, oh, so we don't really matter. Here's the truth. The glorious truth is that because it's bigger than us, because it's bigger than here, because it's bigger than now, it magnifies the importance of us in the room right now. You matter. You matter. Not just because for your sake. It's bigger than us. There's a painted lady butterfly. It's a type of butterfly. They migrate between tropical Africa and the Arctic, which is a journey of over 9,000 miles round trip. Okay? Painted lady butterfly. Look it up. They just have, this is recent stuff that's been released as they've studied this for, for many years. It takes six generations of that butterfly to make the journey. Six generations. And as one generation dies and the next generation comes to life, they just pick up where their parents left off and they continue the journey. And six generations later, they're back where they started. So it's this circular journey, right? This migratory journey. What does that have to do with us this morning? Friends, each and every one of you are called to be part of this mission of Jesus. But some of us have believed some lies. Some of you are grandparents or empty nesters in this room. And you're like, I did my thing, been in church 20, 30, 40 years. I'm kind of too old. I'm glad these young people are hearing this. They need to get busy. But, you know, not me. Grandparents, we need your wisdom, your resilience, and your faith. And you need to open up your mouths. Those of you that have followed God for many years or decades, you need to open your mouth and tell the stories of how God showed up when you thought your marriage was over. Because there's some young couples that are here that think they're not going to make it. And they need to hear the truth of how God showed up in your marriage and healed you and saved you and rescued you again and again. How when you thought the bills were not going to get paid, God showed up and miraculously provided that new job, that new opportunity, or that miraculous provision. Grandparents, empty nesters, those that maybe are coming into the primetime years where the world says you should be out on the golf course or down on the beach in Florida. And I'm not saying those things are wrong, but the mission is bigger and there's a place for you in the kingdom and a call to this mission. The church needs you. The church needs your mentoring. The church needs your wisdom. The church needs your faith that God has given you through the years of seeing him show up. Parents, And young adults in the room, you're in the busiest time of your life and the lie of Satan is, I'm too busy for this mission. Once my kids are older, I'll jump in and join. God is calling you. We need your intentionality, your tenacity, and your vision. 
you need, a vision for your family and how this is multi-generational and the kids that are in your home, for those of you that are blessed as parents, you have a calling first and foremost to your family to raise them up. But it's more than that. It's being on mission with your family for the Lord, whether it's soccer practice, whether it's a neighborhood gathering, whatever it is, whether it's a work function, a bowling night, you're called to go out and be the hands, feet, and voice of Jesus with your family. For those of you young adults that are single and you're not quite sure where you fit into the mix, there is a place for you. You have margin in your life to serve, to get out there and join a street evangelism team and proclaim the good news of Jesus, to plug into a small group and be in community. There's a place for you in this mission and we need you and young people in this room, some children in this room. We need your focus, your passion, and your energy. The lies that are spoken to you from Satan are, I'm too young when I get older. You see, every stage of life has its lie. And young people and children in this room, the invitation to you is just as much for you as the person in retirement. It goes the, spans the generation. We need you to grab that torch, that baton, and you need to run, but you can't be on the coattails of your parents or grandparents. The belief has to be real in you. You have to believe the message. You have to join the mission. You have to be part of this movement. We're all called, know this message, believe it, join the mission, advance the movement, and be part of something that's worth burning the ships for. That's worth saying, I'm gonna part with what my old life was because this is so much greater than anything else that I could attach myself to. There's three ways you can do that here at the King's Chapel. It's through gatherings like this, serving, supporting gatherings like this and inviting others in. It's groups, small groups where we plug in and we do life together. That's where the real gritty stuff of discipleship happens. If you haven't grown in your walk with God and you're not part of a small group, that's probably a big part of it. Plug into a small group and then it's the going and that's the launch. Friends, we are called in all of life to live this good news and proclaim this good news, each of us. Let's pray together. Jesus, we need you. In my own limited way, God, I attempted to proclaim a message and a mission and a movement that is so much bigger than us and is so powerful. And we're invited into this, this multi-generational movement, God, that spans backwards 2,000 years and goes forward into eternity. Help us see the bigger picture of what you've called us to, God. Help us to be faithful. Help us. For anyone in the room this morning, Lord, that has never responded to this message and truly believed it, even through doubt or fear, let them this morning grab hold and say, I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus, save me. And I want to join your mission. And God, for all of us sitting on the bench Lord, not engaged in the mission that you've called us to, holding on to those ships in that retreat route. Lord, help us let go of all that. And Lord, embrace fully and respond in obedience to the mission you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.